report column 15-36 provides definitions for what an employer is and what an employee is. The very long definition, what you need to remember is that uh, the employee was providing a service in exchange for a financial consideration. Again, we look at their pay stubs to see who's listed as the employer who's paying the petitioner. We, we can look at their W-2 as to what they claim on taxes. It is important to note longshore, longshore persons and harborside workers are not covered under this section. That is an entirely different section. Uh, so Chris, do you want to let us know uh, what happens when you, uh, when you want to claim that there's no employment? It's as easy as checking a box, Karen. Right on the answer that's provided for us by the division, uh, it specifically asks whether the petitioner is an employee. Uh, and if we are asserting this defense, we just check now. So employees, who are employees? Sole proprietors are employees. Now, what's important to note with this is that if there is a person who has their own LLC and they are the only employee under the New Jersey workers' comp statute, they do not have to obtain workers' comp insurance. They can opt out of coverage. If they opt out, they're not covered. If they do obtain uh, workers' comp insurance, then any injury that, that occurs, they would be covered under their own employment, uh, under their own insurance policy. Illegal aliens are covered specifically under the statute. So this avoids the uh, legislative intent on this was to avoid employers just going out and hiring illegal aliens thinking they can bypass any responsibility if the employee gets injured. One of the ways of knowing is uh, whether they have their social security number, um, the division will actually assign a social security number and it will start off with a 900 on the claim petition that'll designate that they are an illegal alien. However, they are eligible under the statute for coverage. Also day laborers, this happens a lot with construction cases where they drive to a certain location. There's uh, a couple of people standing on the corner. They're picked up, they're paid with cash for the day. That is covered because they're doing the job of the uh, responding companies, what, what they've set out to do. So Chris, do you want to cover what's not an employee? Yeah, so who's not an employee? Uh, independent contractors. Uh, an independent contractor kind of is what it sounds like. It's somebody who has their own business. It's somebody whose business is separate from the um, employer. Uh, they've got a contract perhaps for work with that uh, entity, uh, but they are separate. They may even have their own separate LLC. Uh, a vendor is not an employee. Uh, subcontractors, we see that a lot in construction situations, right? You've got a general contractor who's responsible for the overall job, and then he obtains a subcontractor who handles the electric work, somebody who handles the sheetrocking, somebody who handles the uh, concrete. It could go on and on and on. And uh, if those subcontractors do not have their own workers' compensation coverage, um, when someone gets injured, it just kind of moves up the chain to the general contractor. And the general contractor, if he or she is, in, is covered, then tag, you're it. That becomes the responsibility of the general contractor. So it's kind of important that a general contractor check to make sure that the subcontractors are insured. Thank you. Next is uh, dual employment. Those are lent employees. You also have the contractor, subcontractor that we were talking about. One of this, the biggest examples of a lent employee would be when you're using uh, a temp agency. A lot of times corporate, corporations, they'll have a little bit of overflow work and it's not enough to generate a permanent hire. So they go through a temp agency. And what we look at is specifically the contract in that. Uh, who, who's maintaining control of the employee, who's paying the employee, 
who has the right to hire and fire the employee, who's designating what job they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And in some of these instances, they both do, the temp agency as well as the employer has the right to let them go, to fire them. Uh, Maybe the uh, employer is the one who's designating what work they do on a daily basis. So in those situations, even if there's coverage under both, a lot of times they both get brought into the claim and they're kind of duking it out and pointing at each other. But in those instances, the judge can find that the petitioner actually had two employers. So in those instances, the judge will order that both employers split the cost of medical, temporary, and even a permanency award. Uh, Also, we have the contractor, subcontractor. We actually handle a lot of those types of cases where you have one major construction site and you have one umbrella company that's in charge of the entire construction, but they start hiring subcontractors to do the plumbing, to do the, the the steel beams, and then those companies hire companies below them for the pallet, for the rocks. And next thing you know, you have a claim, you have a claimant who's injured, and there's potentially 10, 11, 12 different employers. So everybody gets brought into the claim, and everybody has to look at who has coverage, starting with the basic, and that's why we always go to square one, which is who, who paid the person. Right. So um, with respect to independent contractors, it's important to know whether or not uh, there is a right to direct and control. If there's no right to direct or control someone, then generally they're not an employee. And uh, one of the other indicia of an independent contractor is that, as we said before, their business is different from the alleged employer, right? Um, They may have an entirely different business entity, an entirely different company name. Um, They control their own method of work they handle how they're going to carry out their responsibilities. They bring their old tools. Sometimes we see this with locksmith companies. Uh, They'll hire out independent contractors who are independent locksmiths and they bring their own tools to the job. They have their own truck. They go home at the end of the day. They don't report necessarily other than that the job is done. Um, And do they have their own workers' compensation coverage? Again, that's important uh, to know. If they have their own coverage, then it's one of the things we can point to and say, hey, that individual's an independent contractor. And I guess it's important to note too that we have a lot of instances where all these boxes are checked and uh, the, the, the main company even tells them, you have to carry your workers' comp insurance. But what happens when all those boxes are checked? Is it that clear black and white issue that they're an independent contractor automatically? Oh, one would think, right? Um, however, the workers' compensation court uh, is Uh, very concerned with bringing as many people under that umbrella of employment as they possibly can. So they'll go to great lengths. Uh, Even though somebody has their own coverage, maybe maybe they have uh, a contract that spells out that they're independent contractors. Find a way to make them an employee. Uh, It's uh, it's an uphill battle. And again, what we like to remind everyone is one of our favorite ways of resolving a case is Section 20 if we can't get a full dismissal. So a lot of these defenses we raise may not necessarily be dispositive and get that full dismissal, but it does set us up that there's we raise enough issues with the judge that they believe, okay, at this point, maybe we just give them a lump sum payment, which carries a full and final dismissal with prejudice in exchange for that money. So especially if you have instances where there's multiple respondents involved, will reach what's called a global resolution where every respondent will put in a couple of thousand dollars. The petitioner sometimes gets a nice lump sum with right. all these employers involved and the case goes away. Right. These issues let us plant the seeds for that. So next we're gonna go through some hypothetical uh, scenarios and we'll take a look and see if it's compensable. Hi, Greg. 
This is Joey from the warehouse. Sarah just got hurt here because she was not following our safety rules. Can she file a worker's compensation claim? Okay, in this case, yes, she can. It actually doesn't matter if she wasn't following her safety procedures. I actually just had a case resolved where the petitioner was working uh, with the landscaping company and he was using one of the construction lawnmowers and the lawnmower actually started to stall. So this, this uh, petitioner decided he was going to reach into the lawnmower and fix it, but he decided not to turn the lawnmower off. Not surprisingly, it actually mangled his hand. His hand got caught in the lawnmower and that was actually deemed compensable. We also have had cases with deli slicers and um, factory settings where they remove the safety nozzle because the machine works faster. So what, what do you need the safety nozzle for? Next thing you know, someone's hand gets caught, someone's hair gets caught, someone's foot, and the petitioner is ultimately injured. Even if the employer has an OSHA violation or if the petitioner didn't follow safety protocol, there's still going to be coverage under right. the statute. Many years ago when I was a young attorney and I was putting through a uh, case where uh, an injured worker had reached into uh, a machine with spinning blades, uh, he lost three or four, I forget exactly how many of his fingers he lost. And uh, we were taking his testimony. I, I jumped up and I kind of said, why, why, why'd you do that? And my adversary rightly stood up and said, objection, that's irrelevant. And uh, you know, me being young, I just kind of wanted to know why he did it, but it's not important to the case. It's not important to the resolution. Was he working at the time? Did the injury arise out of the course and scope of his employment? Those are the important things. Whether he should have turned off the machine first, which would have been a safety protocol, whether he should have used some kind of special glove or some special implement, didn't matter. And that really gets to the heart of this question. Yeah, so it can be frustrating for the employer because we tell them, you know, there is no common sense defense. Correct. So in this example, not following safety rules would still be covered and the petitioner would be deemed an employee under the workers' comp statute. Let's look at our next example. Before our new lab tech even filled out his new hire paperwork and before he punched in, he was burned by a Bunsen burner. Can he file a workers' compensation claim? So uh, the answer to this question is yes. Um, doesn't matter uh, if the new employee has shown up and is filling out the paperwork and uh, has not even physically clocked in yet. Uh, he's still an employee. If he's injured and he's rising out of in the scope of his employment, yes, he's entitled to file a claim. So even if he's high, he's been at the employer for five minutes, two minutes. Okay, here's our next example. The holidays are a busy time for us. We hire temporary workers to handle the overflow. Are they entitled to workers' compensation benefits? In this set, uh, scenario, absolutely. These are commonly known as seasonal workers. You have in the mall, a lot of retail companies will hire extra employees solely for the holiday season. These are uh, not employees that are gonna stay long-term. They're just for a set period of time. However, they are deemed an employee. So temporary workers, seasonal workers are covered under the Workers' Compensation Act. Right. Let's take a look at the next one. After the accident, we learned this employee did not have working papers. Can he still file it? 
Okay, so in this situation, uh, this employee uh, either just didn't have his working papers or maybe he forged them or uh, doesn't matter. Um, if uh, the employer should have done his due, his due diligence uh, to be sure that he was hiring someone who had a legal right to work. Um, but as we said before, the statute wants to bring in as many people under that umbrella of employment as possible, and it doesn't want to encourage people to hire just illegal um, individuals, undocumented individuals, um, so that they can circumvent the workers' compensation statute. So yes, this person didn't have their uh, papers, doesn't matter he's still going to be eligible for workers' compensation benefits. And that's even if he's being paid cash? Yes. We have a 16-year-old kid who collects the shopping carts. He got hurt while working. It turns out he had fake working papers. Can he file a claim? So in this example, the petitioner is actually a minor and he is covered under the workers' comp statute. Now, what's important to notice in this one is that unlike uh, an adult uh, workers' compensation claimant, a minor can also opt out of workers' comp and file civil litigation. If they're able to prove negligence by the employer, they will then go into and opt into a civil claim and take their, their chances in front of a jury. This obviously opens up a lot more liability for the employer, petitioner can secure a lot more benefits than they would under the workers' compensation scope. So this can actually be very dangerous and it doesn't matter if the petitioner provided fake working papers. So it really is very important that an, an employer does a background check and really ensures that the petitioner is of age to work. Yeah, and that's going to obviously be a conversation between the attorney and the injured worker as to whether or not it's going to be beneficial for them to take this case before a jury, do they have enough uh, to prevail? Or, or are they just going to roll their dice and maybe play it a little safer and play it and, uh, and resolve this case in workers' compensation court? And this is one of the scenarios that's probably extremely rare. I've actually never had one uh, for myself. I've seen one or two over the course of my uh, career go through in court, but actually this is a very, very rare situation that occurs. Right. You don't hear about it very often. We use a staffing company to supply our plant workers. If one of these lens employees gets hurt, can they file a claim against us? So in this situation, um, as we spoke about earlier, uh, the uh, company has gotten an employee through a staffing agency. Can they file, can that injured uh, person file a, a claim? Yeah, uh, and they can choose who they're going to file it against. They can file it against um, the uh, entity where they were working. They could file it against the uh, temp agency. Uh, if there is a contract, however, that spells out who is going to be responsible for this individual, uh, do, uh, does the temp agency say, okay, well, we're going to be uh, responsible. We're going to provide coverage. We specifically say that this individual is our employee. Um, then uh, that sort of sets it out. But if not, it kind of becomes uh, a crapshoot. The person can uh, file their claim. This isn't going to keep them from that. So, uh, yeah, that person can file a claim against you.
And this is where investigation is key. We've had cases where we get the, the claim and through our investigation, we reveal, hey, it, you know, I think this person came from a temp agency. So we can always file a denial and actually file a motion to implead the other company into the case because at that point we would rather duel it out in court mm. than to be held solely responsible because in that situation, we're gonna start pointing at them. So there's a lot of discovery. We're looking at the contract. We're looking at the W-2s. We're looking at- Here at the gym, really I pay all the trainers on 1099s. None of them can file a workers' comp claim against me. So in this situation, uh, again, it depends. Uh, we're gonna look at how, how many hours is this trainer working at the gym? Are they only working for this gym? Are they free to work at other gyms? Are they their clients? Are they the clients of the gym itself? So when we look through this, it's very fact sensitive and it's always done on a case by case basis. So initially what we'll do is deny the claim pending our investigation. We'll look at that 1099. We'll look at the contract. We'll look at their W-2s. We'll look at uh, whether they were free to work at other gyms where they only come in one to two hours a day for specific clients. And uh, after all that investigation, it really can fl uh, flush out what what the uh, employee was doing and, and whether they were an independent contractor or not. Sure. All of the drivers we use are independent contractors. They can't file a claim, right? Uh, Mr. Trucking Business Owner, you think they're independent contractors, uh, but they may in fact not be. Um, as we spoke about earlier, uh, if the independent contractor has his own business, if um, he is doing something that is completely separate, um, if uh, you know, they have an agreement to that effect, even under all those circumstances, all the boxes are checked, um, you can still uh, have someone who is deemed to be an independent contractor, or who you think is an independent contractor, be brought in uh, as an employee. I mean, uh, we see this a lot in trucking situations. Uh, there was a case, I believe a 2010 case, where you have an individual who is an independent contractor working for a trucking agency, and he's required to maintain his vehicle as part of the arrangement. He's maintaining the vehicle at home, and when that happens, uh, he's injured, and he brought a claim, a workers' compensation claim. He said, hey, I'm an employee. You require me to do this. So he, as a result of that, the court said, yeah, no, uh, you know, he's, he's your employee. You're, you made a demand on him that benefits you. Um, so you may have thought he was an independent contractor, but guess what, he's not. Okay, let's look at this next one. All these workers on this construction site are not my employees. They are all independent contractors. That will hold up, right? So in this situation, uh, and we get this a lot, we get the claim and right off the bat, the, the company says, no, independent contractor. It's not always as black and white. So we have to really look at uh, these workers. Were they part of a subcontracting company? Were they directly, who were they hired by? And uh, what's interesting is we find a lot of these cases, you ask the petitioner directly, who were you working for? And they have no idea. And they were paid in cash. So it becomes a who's who. So in those situations, uh, a lot of times petitioner's attorney will file against the uh, every company associated with that construction right. site and will literally show up in court and there'll be 12 respondent uh, companies uh, with the petitioner. So again, we start looking at the contracts, we start looking at workers' comp coverage, 
who's ha who has coverage. And that's where we talked about earlier that if there's no coverage, the court is going to start going up the chain. So eventually it could reach the general uh, contractor themselves, the umbrella company that started the whole project. So really, ideally, everybody should have co uh, workers' comp coverage, but it's not necessarily the case. And if you're one of those um, subcontractors that has been brought in and maybe you're somewhere in the middle there, maybe he did something for you for a day or, or something to that effect, these are some of the uh, situations where we're able to plant the seeds for those Section 20s. And you've got 20 different um, respondents brought in on this case and maybe everybody contributes a little bit just to get the case resolved. Exactly. So that concludes today's webinar. Uh, at this point, we're going to take any questions. If we have any questions, feel free to type them into the question box. All right, so uh, no questions, but some disses. People saying, come on, Greg, you screwed this up. <laughs> also, Steven says, hey, guys, put on your New Jersey accents now. Talking. We're just talking about We're that. just talking. Just talking. All right. Uh, other than disses and uh, accent questions, it uh, doesn't look like you have any specific questions on this topic. So I'll turn it back over to you guys. Okay. So uh, aside from talking about which turnpike exit we're from, <laughs> I guess we'll conclude today's webinar. Next month's topic is on common defenses. Um, Michael Gerbelino of the New Jersey team will be joining me to go over that. Great. Again, uh, these webinars are every single month. We have the third, a third Monday of every month is the New York team, and the fourth Monday is the New Jersey team. So hopefully we'll see you next month. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you have any questions, email us.